Well, tonight is the night, the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. We have been with Moses for years. We've had chapters that had 60 verses. No, true, true, 40 years we've been with him. Even though I'm not even 40 years old yet, yeah, we've been with him for 40 years old. And they're going to let us off light tonight, 12 chapters, or 12 chapters, 12 verses. But these 12 verses are vitally important to every one of our walks as we apply them to ourselves. So let's see Moses' closing moments together as we go to the Lord in prayer and jump into his word. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing journey that we are on. We know it doesn't end here, and we pray that you would continue to guide and direct us every single night we gather together, every time that we're in your word, that you would just have from the pages of scriptures jump up what you have for us and and what you're trying to speak to us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read verses 1 through 3 together. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. So I know some of you here, you've been to Israel. You kind of already seen this. Many of you are like me. It's like, this is just a bunch of names. You know, I read them in books. But here he is at this very advanced age, climbing a mountain. And we're going to see in a little bit that it's not because of any lack of strength that he is passing away here. And the Lord, in his grace, is showing him a panoramic view of God's chosen people's land that was promised from God. And he said they're going to go into the land and they're going to receive this land. Now, there are some Bible scholars that believe this is a a legal thing that God is blessing him with because if you see it and you behold it, you own it. And so there are some Bible scholars that say that God has brought him up to this mountain so that Moses can experience this transaction like, yes, this is the land. I think that's a stretch. It's possible. We'll put that in the likely or plausible area, but we don't want to say that beyond a shadow of a doubt. What we're going to see here, what's far more important is this is the final conversation that Moses is having with God in his final moments of his life before he passes over to the other side. Obviously, the Lord has been having conversations with Moses for now millennia. Is it truly millennia in the kingdom, though, where he's outside of time and space? That's a study for another day. But what about a climb? I want to know so much as he is climbing these mountains which is now in the area of Jordan what is he saying to the Lord the Bible tells us throughout the book of Deuteronomy and it's going to tell us in this chapter that Moses spoke to the Lord they had a communing relation so when we pray you know we pray by faith the Lord is going to maybe make an impression on your heart he may the Holy Spirit may feel you but you don't hear him you may you know many One or two of you, you may have had a unique situation where you may have audibly heard the Lord and it was confirmed by scripture, by fellowship. You weren't losing your mind. So, but it's very rare. But the, but Moses is unique. He's having a conversation with the Lord. 
He spoke with him as it were face to face. What are they talking about? And then we're going to apply it to ourselves. Are you ready for that conversation? I apply this text to myself and I often wonder because I am a weird dude. If I know that I'm going to die and I know it's happening, I know it's happening at this time, at the end of this hallway, at the end of this journey, at the end of this day, you know, you've been given that notice. Am am I ready to meet the Lord? What conversation am I having with him? Am I going to be strong enough? Am I going to have self-control? Am I going to lose control of my emotions? Am I going to have sound mind? What emotion am I going to have? And the, 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 those things go through my head. I told you I'm a weird dude. But I have been with people as they are passing or preparing to pass. And the things that they talk about and the things that they care about are none of the things that maybe we brought to this room this evening. The cares of this world the concerns that we have, the frustrations and the fears, that's not usually what's brought up in that conversation in those last hours, in those last moments. And I wonder what Moses is thinking. The Bible does not tell us. I'm inferring from the scripture. Very dangerous, very dangerous, but I can't help myself. Did Moses have regret with his overall journey? We know he made a mistake. He's not entering into the promised land because of a failure. But we know that that failure is serving God's purpose. Was he regretful that he was at times angry with the people? Or is he a sense of relief? I've completed the journey. I'm going to, I've finished the race, as Paul would say in 2 Timothy, that prepared to cast off this tent. That's what Paul said when he was preparing to exit. We don't know. We don't know. But I often wonder, how would I act and what would I think? And that moment, when you're passing off into eternity, that moment should dictate how we live our lives. Because that word eternity means forever. It, It has been said that we live our whole lives for a dash. Born this date, dash, expired this date. All your feelings and your emotions and your hardships and your marriages and your kids and your finances and your your friendships and your vacations, all your accolades, everything you've ever done, a dash with two dates. But not so with the Lord. We know that all things work together for the good for those that love him. We know that we do have a plan and we do have a purpose with our lives. He created you for his goodwill and purposes so that he could have fellowship with you And that's what we're seeing as Moses is walking up that mountain, talking with the Lord, being prepared. And then lastly, before we read the next verse, I think, was Moses scared? Was he nervous? See, Moses is not justified by his works. Just like Abraham, Moses is saved by faith alone. It was his faith that accounted him to righteousness, that was a righteousness accounted to him, speaking of Abraham. And the same thing is true of Moses. He's not saved by his works. He's not saved because he is Moses. He's not saved because he was used by God to write the law. He's not saved because of the miracles that were performed. No, he's saved by faith alone in God alone and that future Messiah, Jesus Christ. But in that moment... Death itself, even if you are 100% certain of your salvation and your glorious appearing in 
into the heavenly places in front of the Lord Jesus. It's terrifying. And it's okay to fear. When I hold someone's hand and they're passing away, I reassure them, it is scary. It is fearful. You're, you're not crazy. Because we weren't made to die. You think about that? Humanity was not made to die. I, it's a bad analogy, but you guys know me. When you have the, the, the old pinball machines, my son has no idea what a pinball machine is. You have the pinball machine and you're playing it, you pull the thing. He's like, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah, you save your lecture. But if you, if you hit that thing too hard, what does it do? The whole thing just shuts down. You can't, can't keep playing it. When we're entering into death, when we're talking about death, when we're experiencing death, even the death of a loved one, it tilts us. Where Our bodies are not made. It doesn't know what to do with death. Death entered into the world because of sin. We were created to live forever with God in the Garden of Eden, fellowshipping with Him in the coolness of the day, walking and talking with Him and taking care of His beautiful garden. And because of sin brought death into the world, we all now experience it. It is appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. And so when you lose a loved one, even when you are 100% logically sound, yes, I knew it was coming, they lived a long, happy life, and they pass away, what happens? Incontrollable mourning. Incontrollable sadness. Even when we have the joy of salvation, even if that person is a believer and lived a long, healthy life, because we're just not made, we're not equipped for it. And so I wonder... Is Moses going through those motions as he's having this talk? The Bible is completely silent. But we know that he walked with God. Now, in verse, in verse 4, the Lord speaks. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. The Lord swore to give it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise that was promised for millennia is going to be fulfilled, and it's right before Moses' eyes, but he can't touch it. He can't go there. Now, I've told you this secret before. I've given you the spoiler alert. The Lord sneaks him in there at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus, the Messiah, to testify. Where are they? In the promised land. And then I believe the Lord's going to do it once again. But I'm going to share that a little bit later. Can't have all the spoilers right at the same time. You can eat your dessert before dinner at home, but not at church. You know, let's save some for the end. Moses cannot fulfill the journey on his own. Abraham could not fulfill the journey on his own. Isaac could not fulfill the journey on his own. Jacob could not fulfill this journey. They handed it off to the next generation, and they handed it off to the next generation. And now Moses, he can't complete this journey. It's going to go to Joshua, and we're going to start talking about him in that continuing thread next Wednesday. None of us is going to complete this project as well, unless the Lord blows the trumpet and takes us home, we're going to pass it to the next generation to continue the work. But the Holy Spirit and God himself, he is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in each and every one of us. 
Are you ready to hand it off? Do you have something to hand off? Is God using you for his purposes? Are you conforming to his will? Or are you trying to get God to conform to your will? I'm going to tell you, it is not going to work if you're trying to get God to do things the way you want it to do it when you want to do it. And I will, con- I will also attach that statement to the previous verses. Death will not come when you want it. Your date will not come when you plan it for your spouse, for your children, for your loved one, for your parents. It will always come unexpectedly, even if you know it is near. But are you ready? Is there a plan? Do you understand what that plan is? Do you know what's happening? I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about relationships. I'm talking about looking at Jesus face to face in the kingdom of heaven. I'm I'm talking about that last conversation as you finish your journey. Because we say, oh yeah, how's your walk with the Lord? How's your walk with the Lord? Moses is literally walking with the Lord right up to the finish line. And we are doing the same. And as Christians, we have the answer for death and life and the purpose of existence. And yet we go to the world, generally speaking, as uh, Christians, Hey, come to my church. We're going to have, we have fun times there. Come to my church. We have a good speaker. Hey, read your Bible. Believe in Jesus. Y'all, we have the answer for life and death and eternity and the purpose of existence. And yet, we're trying to share the little things, the things that matter least. And yet here God says to Moses, I got a special gift for you. I want you to see all these things with your own eyes. And yet the sinful nature of us, right? The fallen portion of us, what do we say? Well, Lord, why didn't you bring him into the land? You could have. And we go to the negative. Like Moses sinned. God could have struck him dead the moment he sinned. The punishment for sin is death. Not timeoutsies, not, oh, we'll just pretend that that didn't happen and just keep going. The punishment for sin is death. Eternal damnation and separation from God for all of eternity. That's the punishment for sin. And yet, the Lord accounted to righteousness Moses' life through Jesus Christ by faith alone. Same way that he did with Abraham. Let me, let me say that because I don't think I, I explained that very well. Moses did nothing worthy of salvation. Even all of his miracle and miraculous works, nothing worthy of salvation. Because the sinner cannot enter into salvation. The righteousness that Moses entered the kingdom of heaven into was his faith in God and Jesus' work on the cross for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the prophets, for all Old Testament saints. They are saved the same way, by faith alone and God alone. Their hope in the Messiah, which we know is Jesus Christ, a manifestation of God in the flesh, who gave his life, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it says trusting God is the reason that he can close his eyes for the last time, knowing that he will be on the other side. Not his own works. Because we like to sometimes put these people as if they cannot be even in the same realm with us. No, they... They're just people, uniquely called by God for unique works 
to show us these very things. Hey, we're just people. We have a walk with God. We have a mission that goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have the same God on our side. We carry the banner of Jesus. We can claim the same Abrahamic covenant because by faith we are children of Abraham through Jesus Christ. When it says in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner, we carry that banner. We carry that banner into an unbelieving world. And then one day that mission will end. Are you ready for it? Now let's read verses 5 through 8 as we continue. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. And so I stole this straight from David. I mean, he, was a, he really wrote this very concisely. Here in verse 5, what is Moses' title? This is his, his final epitaph. Moses, the servant of God. That is his greatest title. That's our title. We are servants of God. Now, now Guzik, he writes the list. Now, I don't know if he stole it from somebody smarter than him, but I want to give credit where credit is due. He says Moses was not the prince of Egypt. He didn't write that down. Not the murderer of the Egyptian. Not the shepherd in the wilderness. Not the spokesperson of a nation. Not a miracle worker. Not a prophet. Not the man who saw the peace of God's glory. Remember there when he received the Ten Commandments? Not the man who never entered the promised land. He's not known for his failures. He's not known for the victories. What is he known as? Moses, the servant of the Lord. There is no greater calling than serving the Lord God. And if anything will prove it to you, anything at all will prove it to you, it is those moments before you die that you realize what really matters. Nobody cares when they're dying what house they used to live in what boat they used to own, what golf course they used to golf at. They don't care about the buddies at the bar anymore. They don't care about what was in their bank account. They don't care about how many Christmases they had. Everything I've experienced, it's family, relationships. What does God think about me? The people I'm leaving behind, the people that are in front of me, and God. Their thoughts are on God. Is this real? Am I going? Where am I going? Why am I going? What's going to be there when I get there? Am I worthy? And then the thoughts come in. Regret. Regret. I wish I had blank. I wish I had blank. Nobody ever in their dying day, at least in my experience, has ever said, I really served the Lord too much. I really spent too much time reading my Bible. I really prayed too much. I really dedicated too much to the Lord. Maybe, maybe too much ministry, yes. Maybe too busy, yes. Fascinating. Now, as Bible students, we're going to dig a little deeper here. Why 
Why do they not know where Moses' body is? Remember, when they left the promised land, they dug up bones and took it with them so they could be buried in the promised land. But somehow, literally yards away from the border of the promised land, we're going to lose Moses' body. Now, some of you Bible scholars are like, oh, is he going to do it? Is he going to? Yes, in Jude chapter 9, Satan wants this body. In fact, in Jude verse, I said, did I say chapter 9 of Jude? And nobody corrected me. Shame on you all. Jude verse 9. Jude verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. The emphasis there in Jude is that we have the Lord, and if an archangel just says, Hey, I just rebuke you, and doesn't try and fight the enemy, so should we. We should just, in the name of the Lord because we have no power upon ourselves. But this illustration that he's using, Satan was trying to get Moses' body. Why? Now, there's some theories here, and I'm going to tell you which one is right. I mean, my opinion. So the first one is that Moses' body was trying to be stolen by Satan so that the enemy could use it to lead the children of Israel astray. Moses is back from the grave. Look, he's walking around. I don't, think, I don't think that even makes sense. And then I would argue, and this, again, that's my opinion, you could throw away, that that's what a amillennialist or someone that doesn't believe in the end times is a literal fulfillment, they would maybe make that argument, trying to make that all fit. Or they would say, oh, it's just an allegory. It, that's what they say when they can't figure out a scripture and they don't believe things are literal, they're saying, when they say, oh, it's just an allegory, they're saying, oh, it's too spiritual for us to understand. Even though the Bible tells us that the word of God is right for rebuke, correction, and instruction, they'll just say, well, we can't figure it out. Wrong. So what is going on? We already spoke about Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus Christ speaking of the law and the prophets. Elijah was caught up into heaven and his body disappears in 2 Kings chapter 2. So Moses shows up. And I believe personally that the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 are Moses and Elijah. You could make arguments. I don't think that it is Enoch. This is my personal opinion now because I have brothers that say, oh, no, it's Enoch. You're crazy. I don't think that it is Enoch because Enoch is a type of the church. The, res- the rapture before the judgment. Enoch walked with God and was not translated in the Greek, is what it, or in the original Hebrew, that word meant translated, gone. And then Moses, uh, uh, Noah, goes into the ark, and then they're preserved supernaturally through. When I say, oh, well, the church is Moses. No, Moses is a representation of Israel. The 144,000, they make it through the tribulation. The church is gone. That's why Enoch is translated. And so I don't believe he's one of the two prophets because we are translated, we are raptured, raptus, harpazo, taken up, caught up in the clouds with Jesus Christ, and we're not in the tribulation. I think that Moses and Elijah, again, the law and the prophets there, speaking the gospel and preaching in Jerusalem, I think it's going to be, I think that the Lord is so gracious, he's going to sneak Moses into the promised land again before they come back with us. 
into the new earth, the new, uh, the new Jerusalem, excuse me, the millennial kingdom. Where's his body now? Nobody knows. No idea. You would think that would be important to kind of know where your patriarch body is buried. Why does God do that? Because he doesn't want people going to this valley and bowing down to this gravesite. He doesn't want that. We're to worship him. Jesus would have the discussion later against the Sadducees in the Gospels. Sadducees would come after him with that trick question, Lord, when a man, when a, when a woman has seven brothers as their husbands and then they die, whose wife is, are they going to be in the resurrection? What was Jesus' argument? Just watched a long video on this the other day. It was great. His argument is that the Lord is God of the living, not the dead. They're alive today. Abraham is alive today. Isaac. Jacob, Moses, alive today in the heavens with the Lord. And God doesn't want us worshiping dead bones and dead people. It's not a memorial. We have a living God. And so he took Moses' body and hid it somewhere. There are many Bible scholars that think that his body is supernaturally preserved in a grave today somewhere there in the promised land in Pisgah, nearby the Jordan? Possibly. I have no idea. It'll be fun to figure that out as we watch things unravel. So I told you, we, Bible scholars, we'd have to get that in there. But if you're like me and you see a graveyard as you're driving by, I hope you're not like me. You're thinking, man, what, are, what were those people's lives like? Where, what generation did they live in? What did they think? Who was at their funeral? Who was the pastor at their funeral? What message did they teach? Were they a good person? Were they a bad person? Were they sick? What happened? And I walk around graveyards. And I'm like, oh, look at this date. It's so old. I wonder what life was like here back then when that person passed. When I go by old churches, I think, how many baptisms were there? How many marriages were there? How many fellowships? How many sermons were taught? How many people were saved in that spot? And Moses was put in the ground and many other great martyrs and saints and believers have all died and be buried and if the lord tarries we will too and remember that that quote i used a couple of nights ago on a wednesday i said from charles de gaulle of all people the cemetery is filled with irreplaceable people the cemetery is filled with irreplaceable people because 10 out of 10 people die all of us if you haven't put any thought into it, it's not to terrify you. It's not to cause fear. It's not to haunt you. It's to know that we have the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to this earth not to teach us to have great marriages, not even to teach us to love our neighbor. Jesus came to this earth to sacrifice himself for the atonement of sin so that mankind could have a way of salvation reversing the curse on Adam of sin that causes death and leads to eternal separation from God. All those other things are the fruit because he is the truth. He created all. Every good and perfect thing comes from above, the Bible tells us. And if we're missing the very purpose of salvation, then what's the point? If we don't realize that our bodies too will come up out of the ground, 
and we will have a new body and a new heaven and a new earth and that life that we will live i will see you there on the other side for those believers and we will see him there and we will see our brothers and our sisters and our fathers and our cousins our our neighbors all those who call upon the name of jesus christ we will see them there in our glorious new bodies to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord it tells us in second corinthians if we don't realize that we are going to be there and we will experience it together then what are we even living for what's the purpose It is not to fill churches. It is to enter into the grace of our Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the finish line. That is the purpose. Moses is walking that out. And we're pointing that out because we too will make this walk. We too. Now, I want to reverse this for a moment before we go into our last few verses. Moses now, he sees the promised land. He's given a glimpse of it, but he can't touch it. Is that not what we're doing right now? All I'm doing is sharing for you the same picture of salvation and eternity that you will one day enter in, but you can't touch it right now. But you will enter in the same way. And we will continue to walk by faith and walk this walk with the Lord and talk with Him all the way. I would recommend you do not wait for the last day or the last hour or the last five minutes to begin your conversations with the Lord. I would recommend to you that you pray through every day as if it's your last day because you don't know if it is. No man is promised tomorrow, the Bible says. Well, now let's read verses 9 through 12. The people are mourning. They're crying. And it says now in verse 9, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the Spirit, of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord commanded Moses but since there was has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face in all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh before all his servants and in all his land and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. So Joshua, he's filled with the spirit of wisdom. I would like some of that. It also says that he received the spirit of wisdom by this laying on of hands. We know that that happened in the previous chapter when Moses and um, Joshua are together and the spirit is present, the presence of God, the Shekinah is there with them and this is handed off and yet even though that glorious filling of wisdom happens the same kind of miracles are not going to happen again with Joshua. there will be miracles there will be fantastic works we're going to go into the next book but it will not be like it was i find it also fascinating that they honor moses's name after he dies when Moses was around, do you not remember chapter after chapter of rebellion? They tried to fire him several times. They tried to kick him out. They tried to replace him. They talked back to him. They didn't like what he had to say. They said, we want to speak to God, not just you. Oh, now that he's dead, we have all this reverence for him. We want to know where he's, oh, yes, whatever the Lord, whatever Moses says. He's so great. To the point that in Jesus' day, they were using Moses' name like you can't even argue with anything because Moses said Higher than God's word, even. Moses, oh, Moses, Moses. That wasn't the way that it was. 
Don't we see the same thing? Even in our secular world? I think it's fascinating. What are people going to say about me after I die? If I'm lucky, nothing. Because, or they're going to be telling of all the dumb things I did, which is going to be plenty. There'll be days and days of that. But what will people say? What will that legacy be? Now then, how does it feel to be Joshua? To try and, to try and be like Moses, to be looked up as, hey, that's Joshua, not Moses. He's not like Moses. He's different than Moses. But I think the hint for all of us is found in Moses' epitaph. This is Moses, the servant of the Lord. This is Joshua, the servant of the Lord. I'm not trying to be Chuck Smith. I can't be Chuck Smith. God did a supernatural work through that man. But I'm not trying to please Chuck Smith or his memory. I'm trying to please the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a servant of the Lord. I'm not Mark Galvin. I'm not going to be ever like Mark Galvin. I'm never going to live up to his standards, but I don't live for his standards. He taught me a long time ago to be a servant of the Lord. You may look at yourself and be like, well, I'm not like my parents, or I'm not like this person I look up to, or I'm never going to do this, or this church is different than the old church. Who cares? I'm going to be a servant of the Lord. I'm going to walk with him because none of those people are going to be with you when you're walking up the mountain for the last time, and it's just you and the Lord. They're not going to be there. Jesus will be there. I'm trying to learn a psalm in Spanish, Psalm 23. You ever heard of that one? Walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No, you're not getting any Spanish out of me. Not today. I, I embarrass myself privately. He will be with you. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you as you walk through the valley or if you walk up the hillside, however the Lord decides to call you for your last breath. But rejoice. Not only does he walk with you, he doesn't leave you there in the valley. He walks through with you and he meets you on the other side. And no matter how many times I, hand, I hold the hand of someone who's passing or I pray with them, I can't follow them. I can't go. I'm left here. I have work to do here. I can't go through the needle. Only Jesus can. So if you talk to your pastor more than you talk to Jesus, that is a warning, that is a warning sign. I cannot go with you through that, but he has. Not only will he, but he has. He's on both sides. He's working here where two or more are gathered. He's in the midst, and he walks you through, and then he's on the other side. Build a relationship with him. That's our prayer as we go into Joshua. Well, this evening, we're going to close in prayer and offer time for operations of the Spirit. If the Lord so leads you, remember one at a time so that we can pray and affirm together the work of God. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just thank you. There's, there's not enough books, not enough words. If we could write those books to fill them up with not only your works, but our praises that you deserve, Lord. And Lord, we just want to come here this evening at your feet, pray because you've asked us to, and we want to talk with you. We want to speak with you as a fellowship and as a congregation. We just want to reach out. We want to touch you by faith, Lord. Pray that your spirit would be moving amongst us. And that you would lead and direct us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.